Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. You are listening to the Qadam podcast, the series on the tafsir of Surah Yusuf. The meaning, the read-through, and the breakdown, and the commentary of the 12th chapter of the Qur'an here at Qadam Institute podcast. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, assalatu wassalam ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'een. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Alhamdulillah, we are continuing on with our session, our series on the profound meanings and wisdoms from the 12th chapter of the Qur'an, Surah to Yusuf. And alhamdulillah, so far uh, in our series, we've covered quite a bit of the introductory chapters of the surah. And these introductory chapters, they include these beautiful moments, uh, you know, and, and also not just beautiful, but also very difficult moments as well. And you kind of find through this narrative that, alhamdulillah, uh, you know, beauty can also be found within struggle. Uh, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes within life uh, gives us challenges and, uh, and, and struggles and certain problems in our lives, but that beauty is discovered through them. So, alhamdulillah, rabbil alameen, we are now, alhamdulillah, uh, beginning uh, verse number 16 in our study of Surah Yusuf. So, just to refresh everybody, verse number 15 uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was describing uh, the situation that took place uh, in the, the actual act of the brothers throwing Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam down in the ghayabat al-jub as we talked about. So verse number 15, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says in the Qur'an, فَلَمَّا ذَهَبُوا بِهِ وَأَجْمَعُوا أَنْ يَجْعَلُوا فِي غَيَابَةِ الْجُبْ that these brothers, when they took him, they all agreed as a jama' wajma'u. Wajma' literally comes from the word jama' which means as a group of people. They together made this decision to throw him down to the bottom, ghayabatil jub, fi ghayabatil jub. Wa ilayhi yash'urun. And as he was being cast down this well, Allah Ta'ala says, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْهِ That we gave him wahi. And wahi in Arabic means this divine revelation, this divine inspiration that is reserved for the prophets of Allah. Uh, and this is only where you will find wahi, by the way. Wahi is not possible for anyone outside of the definition of a prophet or a messenger. Okay? Pious people can also have very, very uh, divine kind of inspiration, but we do not call it wahi. Wahi is something that we specifically use for the messengers and the prophets of Allah. So an example of this to kind of better our understanding would be uh, the mother of Prophet Musa. She was inspired by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to put her son Musa in a basket and float him down the river. This was not called wahi, it was rather called something we call ilham, which is a very good uh, inspiration from God that is non-prophetic, okay? So wahi and ilham are different. So when Allah says, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَيْهِ It is divine inspiration, divine revelation that was given solely to the prophets of Allah themselves, okay? So it says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave him wahi لِتُنَبِّئَنَّهُمْ بِأَمْرِهِمْ And he inspired him لِتُنَبِّئَنَّهُمْ With this message that he will indeed one day become a, 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 a worthy prophet of Allah and he will inform them لِتُنَبِّئَنَّهُمْ بِأَمْرِهِمْ هَذَا وَهُمْ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ While they have no idea لَا يَشْعُرُونَ Who he is. Okay? And Ibn Kathir rahimahullah uh, he mentions that the beautiful part of this uh, ayah is that they will actually not recognize him. And this is confirmed by Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhu, who was obviously a great companion of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. When Allah says, وَهُمْ لَا يَشْعُرُونَ He says, you will remind them of this evil action that they did against you while they are unaware of your identity and unable to recognize you. So this was confirmed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that one day this will take place. Now, there's a very interesting conversation, by the way. Uh, you know, when did this 
inspiration come to Prophet Yusuf? Did it come as he was in the well? Did it come as he was on his way down to the, through the well? Or did it come to him as he was being carried to the well by his brothers? There's a couple of different uh, opinions. There's ikhtilaf on this specific kind of uh, situation. Some scholars, they say that Prophet Yusuf salam was given this wahi when he was already in the well. When he was already down in the well, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wa uhayna ilayhi litunabbi annahum. That he gave him information that, you know, you will get an upper hand on these brothers one day, and they will not be able to recognize you. So that's one opinion, when he was already in this well. The second and the lesser opinion is that Allah gave him this information while he was on his way to the well. And the reason why it's a little bit less of a, uh, uh, of a, uh, taken uh, opinion is that obviously if uh, he was told this on his way there he would not have had the emotional state of panic as he was being thrown down the well so for example if I tell somebody hey uh, I'm going to punish you once you enter you know this house right um, a person may already kind of calculate and understand that concept that you know I'm, I'm expecting something versus a person who kind of surprises somebody with a punishment all of a sudden then their entire persona their mindset completely changes right and so the more popular opinion is that he was given this wahi when he was already down in the well there's a beautiful narration by the way that says that Jibreel alayhi salam in fact as he was being cast into the well we know that the brothers they bound his hands up right I, I explained this last week that they bound his arms up his hands up uh, and uh, as he was being cast into the well, Yusuf alayhi salam essentially held on to the sides of the ghayabat al-jub. Because I remember I told you guys the, the, the ghayabat al-jub is a well that is raised above the ground, right? So there's a wall surrounding almost like a circular or a square wall surrounding the well itself. And it said that Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam was holding on to uh, the, the, the walls, the sides of the well. And... At this point, some of the Mufassirun, they say that the brothers, in fact, and you know what you call in English, rub salt on the wounds. They even mocked him as he was about to be thrown down saying, why don't you call your 11 stars and the sun and the moon now? So they even like turned his own dream against him. And this is, you know, very, very, you know, diabolical behavior, right? You know, a little child, a small child, you're almost mocking him. Uh, a dream that he relayed to his father, right? Uh, you know, uh, uh, that, that I saw 11 stars, that, you know, I saw the 11 stars, the sun and the moon bowing down to me. They say to him, well, you know, you're such a great, you're such a great beloved child to our father. Why don't you call on your 11 stars, the sun and the moon now, right? Um, and, and then after they had done you know, insulting him and mocking him, they cast him down the well. There's a narration that says that as he was falling down, or as he was being lowered down very, very fast, very quickly, uh, Jibreel alayhi salam, in fact, actually put a very, very, uh, almost like a comfortable boulder or a rock at the bottom of this well. So Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam uh, did not fall and get physically hurt from this drop. That Jibreel alayhi salam placed a very comfortable seat for Prophet Yusuf alayhi salam inside of this well uh, so that he would not physically become harmed. Uh, and the whole wa'awhayna ilayhi that Allah inspired him when he was thrown down this well is there, there, there's you know, no need to even look further into it because there's proof of this happening in other situations in prophetic history as well, namely Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam. That when he was being cast into the fire by his own father, uh, the, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he actually commanded the fire. He says, be cool, bardan, be cool upon, bardan wa salaman ala Ibrahim. Be, be cool and be peaceful upon my prophet Ibrahim. So as Ibrahim was being thrown into the fire, there's a very famous narration that says, Jibreel alayhi salam, he actually came to Ibrahim mid-flight mid-flight while he was in the air traveling into this fire and he says ya ibrahim do you have any need and so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has proven time and time again that he will give inspiration and give aid to his prophets when they're in their most difficult times 
This happened to the Prophet ﷺ as well, namely in the uh, chapter of Ta'if in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. When he was being pelted with stones as he was departing the city of Ta'if, uh, when he finally almost collapsed in this small little orchard, a small farm outside of Ta'if, Jibreel ﷺ came down to Prophet ﷺ and said, do you want me to take care of these people for you? Meaning like, do you want me to get rid of them? And he says, Ya Rasulullah, you give me one sign and these two mountains that surround Ta'if with one snap of the finger, they will crush the people of Ta'if and they will never ever be remembered again in human history. And the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, obviously we know this, uh, there's a famous hadith where the Prophet uh, said that he does not take any personal grudge li nafsihi, for himself. He does not take any personal grudge for himself. And this is also a very, very prophetic character trait, by the way, for anybody who would like to emulate this is that the Prophets of Allah, they never ever took on personal grudges for themselves. Because their objective was always for the greater, uh, the greater niyyah, which was guiding people to the haqq, to the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So if somebody harmed a Prophet of Allah, they would not go out of their way to exact revenge on that person. It was not a prophetic way. Ibrahim alayhi salam did not exact revenge against his father. Musa alayhi salam did not exact revenge against the Pharaoh. Prophet ﷺ did not exact revenge against the Quraysh. It was not something that was in their DNA. They did not do this. And so Prophet Yusuf ﷺ in the same exact way, it was something in his DNA. It was something in his prophetic DNA that did not give him the will to exact revenge against the brothers that threw him down this well. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again reminds him that one day, you will remind them and tell them of this affair when they will not recognize you. So Allah is saying, be patient. Be patient. There will be times in your life where you, know, you will want to exact revenge against people, but it's not worth your time or your energy. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of you in its right time. Don't worry about trying to do everything yourself. Be patient through some trials and tribulations and Allah Ta'ala will take care of you if you have that patience. Okay? And so now we continue on to verse number 16. Verse number 16, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, He mentions in a very beautiful way the situation of the, 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 the deceit of the brothers in verse number 16, ayah number 16. In ayah number 16, Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, He says, وَجَاءُوا that these brothers, they came to their father, they came to their father, in the early part of the night, right? Obviously, we call this the prayer of Isha. They came to their father in the Isha time period, crying, weeping. Right, absolutely immersed with, with sadness and despair, running to their father uh, with, with, with a lot of uh, trouble. Right, and so you, Yaqub alayhi salam, he sees his sons and they, and he says to them, well, "What happened? You know, did 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 you know something? Did you lose the cattle? Did you lose the animals? The sheep that you were entrusted with? What happened? And where is Yusuf? Right, because again, this was something that was." kind of in the back of his mind from early on. Remember he said earlier on in the surah that it actually uh, makes me uncomfortable that I should send Yusuf with you because I know that you have this, you know, very, very jealous tendency towards your younger brother. So I don't want to send him with you particularly. And so when they come back rushing, crying, obviously no Yusuf in sight, um, he asks them, you know, did you lose your animals? Why are you crying? Why are you sad? And where is Yusuf? Where's, where's, where's my Yusuf? And so at this point, the brothers, they respond to their father. They say, قَالُوا يَا أَبَانَا إِنَّا ذَهَبْنَا نَسْتَبِقُ وَتَرَقْنَا يُوسُفَ They said, oh, our father, we went racing. نَسْتَبِقُ نَسْتَبِقُ Okay, it comes from the word سَابِق. سَابِقُ means to race, right? Uh, so it says, نَسْتَبِقُ وَتَرَقْنَا يُوسُفَ he says, we went racing with one another and left Yusuf with our belongings and a wolf. He was eaten by a wolf. He was taken down and eaten by a wolf. 
and you will not believe us. وَمَا أَنْتَ وَأَنْتَ يُؤْمِنُ لَنَا وَلَوْ كُنَّا صَادِقِينَ Even though we speak the truth. So they come to their father and they're crying. They're putting on a very beautiful show for their dad saying, oh, you know, we lost Yusuf. Why? Because he was, you know, we were playing with him. We were racing with him. Nastabiqu. We were all enjoying our time as brothers, right? And we left him near our belongings and a wolf, a wolf devoured him. But even to further their lie, to even further the, 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 the detail and the psychology behind their lie, they say, you will not believe us even though lana kunna even though we're truthful. Why would you believe us, right? And this is, by the way, where like the psychology of lying comes in. It's very interesting, you know, if, if, if anyone has kind of studied this, uh, th- 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 this interesting uh, character flaw, right? One who lies, one who deceits, uh, is, is deceiving. Uh, th- there's a very interesting kind of psychological study behind the entire trait of lying. And so what they basically did was that they prefaced their lie to their father. They didn't just say, oh, a wolf ate him, because if they just said that then the father would be like, well, I told you so, right? I told you so. I told you that one of my fears, right? That one of my fears was that he would be eaten by a wolf when you are unaware, right? And remember they said to their dad, they said, well, if a wolf eats us while we're, we're a group of people, then surely we'll be of those who are, right? We're, we're of the losers. We're completely of losers. If you know, we allow a wolf to eat our little brother, there's like, you know, 12 of us or 11 of us and, and, and one wolf, how on earth will we possibly allow a wolf to eat our brother when we're, there's like a team of us? And so they already know that that was a fear of their father. So in order to cover up that lie, they say, you will not believe us even though we're telling the truth. It's almost catching someone who disbelieves in you before they, before they say it, right? So if I go up to somebody here and say, well, you know, I, uh, I, 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 I turned the fans on, right? And say this person didn't see it. They say, oh, you won't believe me anyway. <laughs> even though I'm telling the truth. You won't even believe me. Trust me, I know. You don't like me. You won't believe me. No matter what I tell you, you're not going to believe in a word that I say. You see the psychological back and forth here? This, this is why, the, the, by the way, why like, you know, lying is, a, is very, well, lying is very unnatural. It's very unnatural. One of the ways the, the scholars, they actually explain the, 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 the vice of lies is in fact that it is an unnatural trait. Remember, the, and, and they say this by just experiencing your bodily reactions to lying. If a person says, I, you know, I, I don't believe that lying is unnatural. Well, why do you think lie detector tests exist? What does a lie detector test do? There's not some magical button that they press that detects a lie or a truth. The lie detector test is based on what? Your, your heart rate. Your heart rate. And what happens when you tell a lie? Your heart rate starts jumping all over the place. Why? Because your heart begins to worry. It begins to stress because it is something that's not true. And so this is when they compare and contrast. That's why every single lie detector test, they ask you, what's your name? And you say your name, obviously your name is whatever. And that's not a lie, so your heart is at a very steady pace. And so they use that as the litmus, and then they compare an answer that you give when it comes to a certain situation. Hey, were you here tonight, or were you there tonight? And you say, well, I was here tonight, and the lie detector test detects that you were lying. Why? Because they, they compare the two, and they say, your heart was at a certain rate when you said your name, and your heart is at a certain rate when you told me the answer of this question. So what's the truth? So lying is very, it's, it's a very unnatural thing. And this is why the scholars, they point out when a person lies, their heart begins to race, their eyes begin to dart. They can't look at the person that they're speaking to. Their palms and their body begins to, uh, to, 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 to sweat, right? These are natural reactions of lying. And, and another thing is that it makes one very uncomfortable. It makes one very, very uncomfortable. That the first time someone tells a lie, it's very, it's very discomforting to them. They don't even want to continue the conversation. But here's the last thing that the scholars mentioned though. This is very interesting. Is that lying can grow with habit. It can grow with habit. A person can become a natural liar if they do it long enough. 
And this is why shaitan is such a kathib. Why? Because he does it all the time. All the time. Convinces people that Allah doesn't exist. Convinces people that this is the right decision to make even though it's haram. Convinces people to skip things that are permissible and good for them and that's obligatory upon them. Telling them that this and this and this and this. Eventually when the heart becomes so immersed with an unnatural deed, it will start getting used to it. And this is when you have these scholars of, of purification of the heart, Tazkiyah and Tasawwuf, Imam al-Ghazali, uh, you know, other, other scholars, Ibn Rajab, Ibn, you know, all these different profound scholars, Ibn Ata'illah, Iskandari, they all write books and volumes about the, 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 the vices of diseases of the heart. But they all say one very, very common thing, that if a person trains their heart enough to do evil, their heart will not be able to distinguish between good and evil. And I tell everybody this all the time, especially the younger people that I teach every single week. I say, if you, if you immerse yourself in a sin, that sin does not become, uh, you know, it doesn't become evil to you anymore. It does not become repulsive to you anymore. And this is why parents and youth sometimes get into arguments. Because to a parent, this act is, is, is not something that's good. It would make that parent feel uncomfortable. But because the young person is so immersed into it, they cannot see why it's bad anymore. It's just normal for me. And so the example of lying is given here uh, in this specific ayah, right? That you, know, you won't believe us anyway. And so in verse number, uh, in verse number uh, 18, this is where they begin to extend and expand on their lie. So they say that you will never believe us even though kunna uh, sadiqeen. We're truthful people. We're truthful people. You won't believe us though. Okay? And they say, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَجَاءُوا عَلَىٰ قَمِيسِهِ بِدَمٍ كَذِبٍ In verse number 18, ayah number 18. They brought his shirt. وَجَاءُوا عَلَىٰ قَمِيسِهِ They brought his shirt to their father. بِدَمٍ كَذِبٍ With blood, that is... Anyone know? We, we talked about kathib. What does it mean? Lies and deceit and it's false. So Allah says they brought to their father a means of evidence, right? So this again proves that this was not a lie that was spontaneous. What was it? It was planned. It was very planned. It was very thought out. So this is like another layer of sin is planning out something like this. There's a, by the way, there's a clear difference between sinning spontaneously and, spin, and, and sinning planned. Spontaneous sins happen to the best of us. Lose our temper with our families in the heat of the moment. Get, get worried and tell a lie because we're afraid of the outcome. These are natural things that happen sometimes to people. Obviously not good, but the tawbah is soon to follow it. But one who plans out their sins like this... It is harder for them and it takes a longer journey for them to even think about Tawbah in their life. Because I thought this whole thing out. I planned it out from the beginning. And so they planned so far ahead that while they basically threw their brother down a well, they had, one of the tafsir actually says that they waited for an entire day until night fell to leave their brother. Why? Because they wanted to make sure that no one would come and get him. They waited an entire day. They went out during the daytime, threw him down a well, and they stood there by the well waiting for anything to happen that would ruin their plan. And once they found some sort of time that like, you know what, enough time has passed, no one's going to come get him. Let's go and figure this whole, you know, how we're going to prove this evidence. What are we going to give our dad to convince him that truly Yusuf has died? And so they take a shirt and Ibn Kathir rahimahullah, he gives two opinions. On this, he gives two opinions on this false blood. The first that he gives is that they actually slaughtered a sheep. They slaughtered a sheep and they smeared its you know, blood and whatever on top of the shirt and they brought that back to their father. That's the first thing. The second opinion is that they in fact uh, mixed a little bit of water with some clay, some red clay that was very, very common in that area of the world at that time. They mixed some water with some clay and some dirt and they made a concoction that would almost like duplicate or would almost like mirror what blood would look like. And they smeared it on the shirt of Prophet Yusuf and they took it back to their father. Okay? And so they present their father with this evidence. Right? Here's an evidence. Abana, right? Our father. This is proof 
You know, you're not going to believe us. So because you're not going to believe us, we did our homework and we're going to present to you proof that it's undeniable. It's undeniable. There's no way you can refute this evidence that we are bringing forward to you. But one thing that they did not, in fact, uh, prepare for. And again, this is why lying is very, very hard to do. Why? Because it is unnatural. Telling the truth is something that does not take much skill, I'll tell you that. Why? Because it happened. If I say, you know, South Lake Masjid is located at 1280 Carroll Avenue, is that hard for me to tell somebody? No. Why? Because it's real. <laughs> right? It's true. I know multiple people have confirmed this fact. If I'm trying to convince somebody that South Lake is actually off of Kimball, right? The, the, the exit before. And I know that's a lie. Eventually, there's going to be a moment where I slip up. Why? Because for years and years and years, I know that South Lake Masjid is located on Carroll Avenue. And I have to train myself to believe that my lie is actually true. But your heart is programmed by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with something we call fitrah. And fitrah is natural inclination towards things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is pleased with. And this is why we say that children are born with fitrah. They're born with fitrah. They're innocent people. They do not understand the difference between right and wrong at that stage of life yet. They are doing whatever a child would do. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ was so merciful towards children. Because he saw a lot of innocence in them. That is not quite often found once a person hits the age of maturity. That's when a lot of influence and nurture from society comes into effect. You know? And so they smear the blood of a sheep on the, on, on, on the shirt of Yusuf. Or they put clay and water on the shirt of Yusuf. And they present it to their father. And their father in ayah number, uh, uh, this is ayah number 18, no, 19. This is ayah number 18 continued. Ayah number 18 continued, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, uh, he mentions the response of Prophet Ya'qub alayhi salam. His qala bal, bal in the Quran by the way, is a, uh, almost a negation. So if I say bal, it means that rather something else happened. Versus what you just told me, bal. Okay, so قَالَ بَلْ سَوَّلَتْ لَكُمْ أَنفُسُكُمْ Rather, أَمْرًا فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ He says, rather, your own selves have made something up. بَلْ سَوَّلَتْ لَكُمْ أَنفُسُكُمْ He read right through their lie. He says, rather, I think your, your own self, your nafs, has made something up. And just a little bit of a, you know, detail to this. There are three types of nafs, nufus in our religion. One, you know, and, and this is why it's important to study this, by the way. To understand yourself. Uh, to understand the self is actually, uh, there, there's, uh, there's a very famous, famous narration that says, uh, Which basically means one who understands themselves will understand their creator. A very famous narration. Man arafa nafsahu faqad arafa rabbahu. One who understands their self, they understand who they are, they understand what their purpose is, they understand what they're built to do, faqad arafa rabbahu. They will understand their Lord. They'll understand who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is in their life. And so in Islam, in, 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 in accordance to the Quran, there's three types of nafs, nufus. Number one is a nafs called nafs al-ammara bisu, which we'll actually talk about in, 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 in probably either next week or the week after. Nafs al-ammara bisu is the nafs that is inclined towards evil. Nafs al-ammara bisu. This is, I can, you know, everyone in here probably has experienced this. You walk by something and you know it's not correct, you know it's incorrect and wrong and haram, but there's a piece of you that's sort of tempted to do it. You see a $20 bill on the floor and you know that it's not yours. It has nothing to do with you. You should pick it up and either give it to somebody that's in charge or put it in the sadaqah box or something like that. But there's a small little inkling in your heart that says, I wonder what I could buy with $20. Just wonder. This is nafs al-ammar bisu. 
any part of the soul that is inclined towards things that are displeasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Nafs al-amara bisu. Number two is nafs al-lawama. Nafs al-lawama is the nafs that is constantly questioning itself. And Hassan al-Basri, rahimahullah, the great tabi'i, he says something very beautiful. Out of the three nufus, he says nafs al-lawama is actually a nafs that a true believer has. Because everybody assumes the last one is the, the nafs of the believer. It is. But Hassan al-Basri, he says nafs al-lawama is actually the nafs of a believer. Why? Because a believer is constantly questioning if they did something correctly or not. That's what a believer does. Constantly looking to improve and get better. Did I just pray my Maghrib Salah the best that I could have prayed it? Was I good to my parents today? Was I good to my children today? Did I tell my wife or my husband that I love them today? Was I good in my character to my community members today? Did I, did I, did I do my best in my dua today? This is nafs al-lawama. The nafs that's constantly questioning itself. And questioning is not a bad thing, by the way. I'm not telling people to doubt their, 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 their confidence. What I'm saying is that a true believer is constantly looking at ways to refine and get better. One of our teachers told us, he said, if you ever think in, in, in your life that you have reached a good state of being a Muslim, you're, you're, you're not even close to it. <laughs> he said that if you ever get an inkling in your mind that like, you know what, I made it. I'm a good Muslim now. It means you're very, very far away. That a true believer should never say that, oh, I'm actually a good Muslim now. A true believer will always say, I'm trying my best, but there's a lot, there's a ways to go for me. This is a very beautiful teaching. That a believer is never satisfied with the level of, 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 of devout you know, nature that they have towards Allah. It could always be better. So that's nafs al-lawama. The last nafs is nafs al-mutma'inna. Found in Surah al Anyone? Surah Al-Fajr, very good. This is the nafs that the scholars, they say, is a nafs that is pleased with its creator and the creator is pleased with the nafs. And the reason we know this is the following ayah is and Allah tells that believer, فَدْخُلِي فِي Enter, O oh my believing servant. وَدْخُلِي jannati. Enter my paradise. So nafs al-mutma'inna is the highest status that a believer can reach. And it is a very difficult state to reach because it is hard for a believer to constantly stay there. So a believer is constantly switching back and forth, back and forth, and back and forth. We only hope that we ask, you know, that, that, that our dua, and this is why there's a famous, famous dua uh, where, where, where we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, uh, um, Ya Allah, allow my, uh, keep my heart firm. Thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Ya muqallib al-qulub, thabbit qalbi ala deenik. That, that dua is beautiful. O turner of hearts. O turner, you, because you're admitting... Ya muqallib al-qulub Allah, you are the one who is in charge of my heart that is constantly turning My heart sometimes feels good My heart sometimes is going through pain Ya muqallib al-qulub I always teach Arabs in a really I don't know if there's any Arabs in here But there's, I always teach Arabs this in a really good way There's a very famous dish in, in the Arabian culture called Anyone know? Maqluba Maqluba Which the final process of cooking maqluba is to do what? Anyone know? Is to flip the entire thing over. So the word qalb actually, in fact, that's used to describe a, a, a heart, a spiritual heart, has the same root that means to flip constantly. That's why maqluba is called what it is. And so the state of the heart is that it's constantly changing. It's constantly flipping. And the end of that dua is, thabbit qalbi ala deenik. Make my final turn. Make my heart firm, thabbit, thabat, ala deen, upon your religion. So however many times my heart turns and flips and switches and all these different tribulations and trials in my life, I pray that my final turn, Ya Allah, will be towards you and your deen. It's a very, very beautiful dua to make, by the way. And so at this point, 
they let their nafs get the best of them. And he says that, سَوَّلَتْ لَكُمْ أَنفُسُكُمْ He says that your own selves have made up this tale, Amran. فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ And before I even get to what Sabrun Jamilun means, there must be an explanation to why Prophet Yaqub accused his sons of lying. There must be some evidence behind it, rather than just like, you know, uh, intuition, right? And so the evidence behind it is that the qamis they brought towards their father was completely intact. There was not a single rip or tear in the entire shirt of Prophet Yusuf So there's a kind of a more, uh, it, it's not a confirmed narration, but it is a, it is a narration that is, that is documented there. Yaqub he told, he asked his sons, he says, wow, this, this wolf must be a very wise wolf. <laughs> this wolf killed my son, right? This wolf must be a very wise wolf to have uh, slain a young child with, and left his shirt completely intact. There's evidence of, 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 of you know, blood everywhere, all over the shirt, but for some reason the entire shirt is completely intact. How is that possible? That if truly a wolf did this, then there would be some evidence of tears and, and, and rips all over the qamis of Yusuf salam. But there's not one single tear in this shirt. How is that possible? And again, this is proof in the pudding that lies cannot go on forever. Even something as deeply planned as this lie that they made you know, about their brother was caught in almost the first stage of it. There was evidence that it was a lie from the beginning. And they, they, they you know, and, and Ibn Kathir rahimahullah actually says that the, the shirt, the qamis of Prophet Yusuf salam was actually a, 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 a miracle in this entirety, in this entire uh, chapter, in this entire surah. Why? Because it proved an evidence for Prophet Yusuf several times in his life. Several times. And we'll talk about this throughout the entire class, inshallah. Well, the first one was obviously this. It proved that Prophet Yusuf salam in fact, was not killed by this wolf. Number two, we'll talk about this next week or the week after. It proved his innocence against the accusations of the woman who tried to seduce him. And number three, the qamis finally was the means of his father becoming uh, able to see again. So the shirt of Prophet Yusuf salam was actually beneficial three times in his life. And this is why the scholars, they say that the shirt of Prophet Yusuf, in fact, is a mu'jizah. It's a miracle from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It was used as evidence over and over and over and over again. So he says, فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ Yaqub alayhi salam, he mentions it. And he mentions this phrase, by the way, several times in the surah. He says, فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ I will be very, very patient. Sabr is one thing, but sabrun jamilun is another thing. Anyone know what the word jamil means in Arabic? Beautiful, very good. Jamilun is, uh, is an adjective, it's a sifa. Sifa is an adjective, a description in Arabic, which is very, very beautiful, very nice to look at, very beautifully observed, right? And so when Yaqub mentioned to his sons that I'm going to be patient, he's not just saying I'm going to be patient, he's saying I'm going to be beautifully patient in front of this. And the scholars, they mentioned this patience, by the way. That sabr is not just something that you endure, it is something that you endure with the best of you. With the best of you. Because sabr can, a lot of people can have sabr by the way. Sabr, a lot of people can have it, but very few people can have sabrun jamilun. That this beautiful kind of patience, and you know what the scholar Ibn Kathir, he describes it as? He says sabrun jamilun in fact is sabr that even people around them cannot tell. They cannot even see the pain that they're going through. فَصَبْرٌ جَمِيلٌ That is beautifully witnessed, beautifully observed. To the point where somebody else looking at them can't even tell they're going through anything. That's how beautiful this patience is. And this is found in several different moments in the life of the Prophet as well. وَاللَّهُ Musta'anu ala ma tasifun. He says, and Allah is the only one alone whose help can be sought against that which you ma tasifun, that which you describe. 
And this is where we get that famous phrase, by the way, Allahu Musta'an. Allahu Musta'an literally means Allah is the best of helpers. Allah is my best help in this situation. There's nobody else in this situation that can help me. Allahu Musta'an. Allah is the only helper in this affair. And so at this moment, he basically catches them in their lie. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shifts the story into a different direction. At this point, we are done with the moment of Yaqub and his sons. Why? Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said so. There's a lot of people who are like, oh, but we wanted to know more. You know, what did he tell his sons after this? How did his sons react to their father telling them that they're liars? How did they, re- how did they react to this? Well, the answer quite literally is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deemed it best for you not to know this right now. That's it. This is why, by the way, the, Quran, the, the, the commentary of the Qur'an is so beautiful. That every scholar knows when to stop. They know when to stop and say, you know what? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not want us to know any further about this. And this is what differentiates the Qur'an between a book of stories versus a book of truth. That stories, and, 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 and a famous scholar, Mufti Shafi Osmani, who actually wrote Ma'arif al-Qur'an. Very famous uh, Urdu tafsir of the Qur'an. That's been translated into Arabic and translated into English. Uh, he actually says that this is truly the difference between the Quran and any other book is that the Quran will never give any sort of detail that is not necessary. Sometimes you'll find books and stories and narratives and other famous works of literature that you can read through it, but you will look at it and you'll say, well, there's a, there's a part in here that doesn't seem like it belongs. It's not necessary. I could have understood the gist of the story without reading that one sentence. The Qur'an is, first and foremost, it's Kitabullah, it's the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so there is nothing in it that is unnecessary, and nothing that was left out that is necessary for you to know. And that is the beauty of the Qur'an. That if we stop abruptly on a certain situation, it's because there is literally nothing else Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wants us to know about it. And so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He shifts gears in ayah number, thir- in ayah number 19. We're, we're going to try to begin this, but we probably won't finish this today. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala begins ayah number 19 and He says, وَجَاءَتْ سَيَّارَةُ فَأَرْسَلُوا وَارِدَهُمْ فَأَدْلَى دَلْوَى Okay, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He says, And there came a caravan of travelers. وَجَاءَتْ سَيَّارَةٌ a, 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 a group of travelers, a group of, 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 of people who are journeying. And they sent فَأَرْسَلُوا وَارِدَهُمْ They sent a, a, a person by the title of وَارِد وَارِد Okay? So this is really interesting by the way. This is why by the, the Qur'an will blow your mind if you read it properly. What was one of the things that the brothers of Yusuf they said? Or the oldest one they said when he says لَا تَقْتُلُوا Yusuf. And then he says, uh, Do not kill him. He said, if you, if you have to do something, Throw him inside of this well. Throw him inside of this well. So if any passerby or a journeyer or a traveler sees him, they'll come see him and they'll collect him. This was from the mercy of one of the oldest brothers of Prophet Yusuf. And what do you see in ayah number 19? وَجَاءَتْ سَيَّارَةٌ Came by a traveler or a group of travelers. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is piecing the wisdom together here. That was because of the mercy of the older brother, the guilt of the older brother, that they in fact threw him down a well and did not kill him in the first place. And they said, perhaps a traveler may come by and pick him up. And in ayah number 19, Allah says, وَجَاءَتْ سَيَّارَةٌ A traveler came by. How beautiful is the plan of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And the scholars, they actually say something very fascinating here. They say that this surah was revealed obviously directly to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This, in fact, gave the Messenger of Allah وسلم, a lot of comfort in his heart. That a man who was going through such persecution in the city of Mecca by the people who saw him grow up, he was being revealed to him a story of a previous prophet who was being ripped away from his family, 
was being taken away from his home. But at the end of the day, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed this plan to piece together beautifully. And so the scholars, they say that the Prophet sallallahu receiving this wahi of the surah continued to become more and more and more at peace with the situation at hand in the city of Mecca. That all of the abuse and assault from the Quraysh and from the Banu Thaqif and all the tribes that were hostile against him, that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to stop all of this right now, it would have happened already. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is allowing this difficulty to come into the life of the Messenger for a reason. And that in and of itself is something that will bring peace to the heart of a believer. That even though I went through that rough time, I lost my job, I lost somebody in my family, I lost a loved one, Allah allowing it to happen is in fact something that brings my heart peace. That the one who created me was the same one that allowed this to happen. So he must be controlling the situation right now. So if the one who gave me good is the same one that is giving me certain challenges in my life, this is enough to give me peace and, and sakinah. And so the scholars, they, they say this ayah brought a lot of peace to the heart of the Prophet ﷺ. The word warid in Arabic is a person who in a traveling caravan is told to go ahead of everybody else. There's different words for this. Uh, there, 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 there's a, um, a word called mu'akhar. Mu'akhar. A person who uh, 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 comes before or after. Right? Mu'akhar. Is a person who comes before and after. And warid is a person who goes ahead of the journey of the caravan. And they go on the lookout for any supplies. They're going out to find any supplies for the caravan itself. So it says that they sent waridahum. Fadla dalwahu. Fadla dalwahu. Fadla, idla means to, it means to fetch water. To fetch water. Fadla dalwahu. So one of them, he came upon this very, very beautiful random well, oasis, you would call it in a desert. And he is without a doubt joyous and, 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 and relieved to find a source of water in this desert. And so he begins to lower, let down his bucket. And up in this bucket, this well, he starts pulling it back up. And instead of water, inside of this bucket is a young child. A young child. Ibn Kathir rahimahullah says that three days had passed by. Three days had passed by from the moment that Yusuf was dropped in the well until this moment. Three days. Now, how did he survive? Well, there are narrations that say that the oldest brother continued to keep an eye on him and actually, in fact, give him some food while he was in there. Basically taking care of him to, 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 because the mercy of this older brother overtook him. That I don't want to be the one who is responsible for his death, so I'll just take care of him, give him whatever he needs to at least survive. So on the third day, he, this, this traveler, he dropped his bucket, up came this young child, and it says, قَالَ يَا بُشْرَى هَذَا غُلَامٌ قَالَ بُشْرَى يَا بُشْرَى هَذَا غُلَامٌ That phrase in Arabic is very interesting. Because بُشْرَى in Arabic comes from the word بَشَر, which means like good, news, glad tidings. Something happy just happened. Rejoicing, right? This is why, by the way, the, scholar, the, the, the Prophet ﷺ, he, he said in a very famous narration, uh, give glad tidings, bushra, towards the gharib, towards those who are strange. It's from the narration that says that Islam came as a strange religion and it will leave as a strange religion. So bushra, towards the gharib, towards the strangers. Basically giving us a lot of, uh, a lot of good, good feeling. Because the Prophet ﷺ says that if you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and if you abide by the rules of Islam, at one point in life you're going to be known as something that's strange. Because the society around you will not be with you. And at, and at, and at that moment, 
you will become strange. And so, so he says, Bushra hadha ghulam. So he's rejoicing, happy. He is, you know, sharing good news. He says, hadha ghulam. Ghulam, by the way, and we'll end with this inshallah. Ghulam is a word in Arabic that describes a young child. Ghulam. A beautiful young child. Hadha ghulam. And in fact, in fact, the tafsir even says that this man, when he drew up the bucket and Prophet Yusuf was in it, he was so overwhelmed by the beauty of this child that in the next ayah, or sorry, in the next part of, of verse number 19, we'll end with 19 today, it says, وَأَسَرُّهُ بِضَعَةً وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِمَا يَعْمَلُونَ so he actually hid him. Bushra hadha ghulam, after he stated this, that this is a young child, a beautiful child, immediately, وَأَسَرُّهُ بِضَاعَةً وَاللَّهُ عَلِيمٌ بِمَا يَعْمَلُونَ That he hid him immediately with the intention of selling him. Why? Because he looked like such a valuable child. And by the way, this was confirmed in a very, very famous hadith in Sahih Muslim of the Prophet ﷺ when he traveled to the famous journey of Isra wal Mi'raj. He went to the Dome of the Rock and ascended to the heavens. And in one of the stages of heaven, he saw Prophet Yusuf ﷺ with his own eyes. And the Prophet ﷺ himself, he said that this man was given half of the beauty of all creation. That this man was given half of the beauty of all creation. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave half the beauty of the, the, the world to half of his creation and the other half he gave to this one singular human being. So if he was that beautiful and the Prophet was, was, was narrated to have seen Prophet Yusuf in his adulthood, in the heavens. So imagine what a beautiful child Yusuf must have been. So because of this, this man immediately tried to conceal him. Conceal him. And Allah's warning at the very end says, Wallahu alimun bima ya'amalun. Allah is the all knower of what his plan or what he did. Because concealment, right? Bida'atan. Concealing, people think that like if it's concealed, I'm good. So Allah reminds us at the end of verse number 19, Wallahu alimun bima ya'amalun. Even if you're physically trying to conceal something in your life, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will ultimately see whatever you think is being concealed. And this is why Ihsan is described as an ta'budullaha ka'annaka tarahu, fa illam takun tarahu, fa innahu yiraq. True ihsan is worshipping Allah as though you see him. And although you do not see him, know that he, فَإِنَّهُ يَرَقْ Know that he sees you. So inshallah, with that, we will conclude uh, the ayat of reflection and study for today. Alhamdulillah, we were able to go through uh, ayat number uh, 16 uh, through ayat number 19. Alhamdulillah. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to be people who benefit from the words in this tremendous, tremendous book. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to not only allow us to read the Qur'an, but also learn it to implement its teachings. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to become better with each and every single word of the Qur'an that we recite. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to forgive us for any of our mistakes, any of our shortcomings. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow the Qur'an to become a habit for us and something that we do frequently and something that we abide by and we live by. And we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow the Qur'an to be a proof for us on the day of judgment of our devotion and our piety and not a proof against us. Ameen ya Rabbul Alameen. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik wa nashadu an la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu alayk.